something happened uh, last week, Sunday morning. Suddenly, the perspective of everyone changed. Uh, things that looked familiar suddenly looked slightly different. Uh, we, of course, had that wonderful uh, fall of snow. And um, I know not everybody loves snow. It can be a bit slippy and not everyone go, likes walking in it. But I think almost everyone loves the uh, picture that a snow scene brings. Very, very rarely do you see a postcard with torrential downpours and grey and miserable scenes. But you do often see um, a snow scene on the front of uh, Christmas cards and postcards because it just looks so beautiful. And there's something about a snow scene that makes even the most familiar picture or route or landscape seem very different. This is the picture from my road. Not sure that's going to uh, appear on any Christmas cards this year. Maybe it'll appear on our Christmas card, actually. But um, nevertheless, something that's very familiar looks different uh, because of the snow. Now, today we're going to be looking um, at a passage that is very, very familiar. The story of the man healed who was carried on the mat is probably one of the most famous healings of Jesus. It's the story we learn the first, maybe, um, of Jesus's healings when we're in kids' church. And I'm sure Zoe and Hannah's team are having a fantastic time learning about that this morning. But it's a, it's a very familiar scene, and because of that, it can uh, grow dull with familiarity. We can miss some crucial moments. We can miss what God might be saying in it. I, this was brought home to me a few years ago when on an Alpha course, we looked at this passage. It's one of the passages, because it's such a good passage to look at, uh, with those who are not yet Christians or fairly new Christians. We looked at this passage and an architect who wasn't a Christian uh, who was on the course was fascinated with this story. And for him, he was trying to answer the question, how could this be happening? Because the way I understand buildings would be uh, built in those days, um, that wouldn't be possible. All the people would fall through the roof. And actually for him, doing some research as to how buildings were made in the first century, he was uh, flabbergasted to find out that actually roofs were made in a particular way that you could um, unpick them like that, uh, you could make a hole and lower people in. And for, for him, that meant the story was true. And the next week on Alpha, he gave his life to Christ. It's a very vivid picture. It's a very vivid story if we can come to it with fresh eyes. And uh, there's a particular spiritual um, approach to this. It's called Ignatian spirituality. And what it encourages people to do is to, when you look at a Bible passage, just try and think, if I was here in the middle of this Bible passage, what would I be seeing? What would I be thinking? Which characters would I relate to? I think one of the reasons why we miss things in this particular passage is we often um, think of ourselves as, well, perhaps we'd be in the crowd. What would we, th we be thinking about if we were in the crowd? And I've had many, many sermons about this passage uh, looking at, well, if you were a member of the crowd, what would you think about Jesus? Who would you think he was? It tends to focus on our thinking and maybe our beliefs and what we have in our faith. Sometimes we focus on the religious leaders. What were they thinking? Um, they were scandalized by Jesus. And uh, by focusing on the religious leaders, uh, we can be thinking about other times when our religion and our uh, doing the right thing gets us in the way of seeing what God wants to do in a fresh way. Sometimes, and probably the most times I've heard a sermon on what it's like to be the friends, the friends who carry the man. Are you committed enough to help people see Jesus, that you'll carry them to Jesus? Are you sharing your faith? And the focus is on how we serve. Now, I get really excited 
sharing my faith. I get really excited seeing people serve. Um, just last week, uh, the call went out from Maybury School. Um, could people help fund laptops for people who aren't able to do their homeschooling because they, were, they didn't have enough money? And I put that notice in on the Friday email. By the end of the weekend, we'd raised enough money to help people uh, do their homeschooling. Now, this week, it's brilliant to think, uh, five families are able to do homeschooling in a totally different way. Their lives have been transformed because of help we could have offered. It's really amazing to think of how we can help people and serve people and experience something of the love of Christ through our help. But I think we often miss one of the crucial perspectives on this story. And it's actually the person who is easy to overlook. And it's actually the person who was overlooked in the story because he was shut out from being with Jesus. And it's the man on the mat. And I think one of the reasons why we so often like to focus on the crowds or the leaders or the friends, that they're the active people in this story or so it seems um, I think in our Western world, we naturally look at the characters who are making a difference. But just like people who have uh, disabilities or need extra special needs around us, often we struggle to identify with those in need. We struggle to see ourselves that we might actually be the person on the mat, the person in need of help, the person needing to be carried to Jesus, not doing the carrying um, I was reading a book on international mission about the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and the writer there was saying how often Westerners, when they think about the story of the Good Samaritan, identify with the people who walk past. Now you're like the Samaritan or the religious leaders. But so often when he's um, done this Bible study um, in developing countries, in places where there are many people in need, they identify with the person beaten up and left for dead at the side of the road. And I want to focus on the man on the mat today because I think far more of us at the moment are realizing we're like that. We feel in need of help. Perhaps we're not used to that situation of being the one in need of help. And it feels um, difficult. It feels different. It's a different perspective. We struggle to think, how can I ask for help? I'm meant to be the one usually giving help in this situation. Far more people, I think, at the moment are struggling with anxiety or depression, or know people who are struggling with illness, or maybe COVID, or are in hospital, or maybe friends we know who have lost loved ones, or maybe um, we're struggling with our own health. Maybe at the moment, far more of us are like the man on the mat than we would like to think. And if we aren't at the moment, I can guarantee that there will be a point in our lives when, the, when we will be. I remember a few years ago in my own ministry um, as a vicar when I went through a very tough time and I struggled with this idea that I'm meant to be usually the one helping and supporting and praying for people. Um, I can't be a burden on others asking for their help and support and to be carried. And yet by doing that, I was stopping people offering me the gift of showing the love of Christ. We can so easily find our lives turned around um, just a few months ago, I heard of a friend whose wife suddenly was diagnosed with cancer. Another friend whose child um, has, uh, they've discovered they've got um, uh, a syndrome that can't be treated. When we find those moments in our lives where our lives are turned upside down, when we feel helpless and hopeless, are we able to receive the help that can be given? 
And this story draws our attention to Jesus, but I don't want us to miss our attention on the man in the mat. And the story starts with this man being shut out. And that would have been the experience of this man throughout his life, being shut out of society. He wasn't able to play a proper and full role that would be expected of a man in his society. He would have expected to grow up, have a career, uh, be a fully functioning, contributing member of society. He wouldn't be able to get married. He would have been expected uh, as a healthy person to get married, have a family that would continue his line and continue um, his inheritance. And he was also potentially shut out from the religious community. There was a very strong theology amongst certain sections of society that said if you were ill, if you were, um, had a long-term illness, if you were um, paralyzed, if you had a disability, if you had skin diseases, and we'll see uh, some more of those events later on in our stories as we look through Mark, then you were considered to be outcasts. You couldn't come into the synagogue with everyone else. And so here's this man shut out, um, displaced from society, and now shut out from seeing Jesus. So here's this man who would have had every reason uh, to give up, every reason to think that God didn't love him. But there was something about Jesus that drew him and his friends. Again, when we look at this passage, sometimes we can think, well, you know, it was the friends who carried the man. You know, almost sometimes when I've heard this story said, it's almost like the man had no choice in the matter and he was just dragged off against his will. And the story doesn't say that. Maybe it was the man saying, I want to see Jesus and this is my last chance. I need to know I'm accepted by God. Um, if I'm healed, great, but I just need to know that I'm not rejected and forgotten. Whatever it was, and we don't know from the passage, but the man and his friends are so desperate to see Jesus that they're not going to let a small matter of a crowd and a full house stop them. They are going to get to Jesus. And that shows just how much they wanted uh, this man to experience and how much this man wanted to experience acceptance and love, compassion, healing and wholeness. And that seems very memorable, isn't it? It's the scene that, uh, I'm, I don't know what they're doing in the kids' church Zoom, but maybe they're even um, trying to work out how to design houses that get their roof taken off. Um, I saw the activities that get sent out. There's some great um, illustrations of trying to uh, reenact this scene. Maybe um, if you've got kids with Lego and you're still on this call, why are you still on this call? Uh, you should be on the Zoom call. But if you've got kids with Lego, reenact the scene um, later on. But it's a very vivid scene. Um, Jesus teaching the crowds. And actually, if you look at the passage, um, Jesus was there to teach. This didn't seem to be a big healing moment. He was mainly teaching the crowds. And then suddenly the roof starts to implode. Dust starts falling on the crowds. And this man is lowered into the center of the crowd. He would have probably backed off to get, make sure they didn't get covered um, in soot and dirt and a man landing on top of them. Just imagine the scene. But imagine what it would have felt like to be that man lowered down. Um, when I was training for the ministry, um, I did a placement uh, in a hospital as an assistant hospital chaplain. And um, one of the things they said very, very clearly is if you get alongside someone in the hospital bed, recognize that they have no choice to walk away. And it's a very vulnerable moment when you're in a hospital bed and a stranger comes. So do everything you can to make that person feel comfortable. Ask them if it's okay to sit down. Um, draw the curtain so they can feel a sense of privacy and not feel that they're 
privacy and their, um, their very self is being invaded. But then look at this moment. The man is lowered in front of the whole crowd, the whole community. Here is a man who's been outcast all his life. And the whispers of the crowd must have started. And we know the whispers of the religious leaders would have started. Here's a man who has to face his shame of being on a mat, of being unwell. He probably was very aware of that moment. If Jesus really is from God, then he sees my heart. He sees my sin. He sees the moments where I've been so angry at my situation that I maybe called out and cried out to God. I've got angry with other people. Jesus can not just see my illness. He can see my heart. The man must have uh, carried that sense of shame that would have been uh, drawn from the community's view of illness, but also he would have known his own heart and whether that was about to be revealed. A moment of great tension um, revealed in front of everyone. No curtain to draw around this scene. Uh, No moment where uh, he can be asked, do you mind being put in front of uh, hundreds of people? He just has to face Jesus and he comes face to face with Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. What did the man need to hear that moment? Well, probably at that moment, he really needed to know it was okay. God loved him. God was for him. God accepted him. He'd not been rejected. And so Jesus says the thing the man needs to hear most of all, friend, your sins are forgiven. And that was a bombshell. Uh, The roof collapsing was one bombshell that had gone off in that meeting. But this was a theological bombshell that Jesus let off because Jesus was saying two very, very powerful things. Firstly, it was controversial because no one had asked for forgiveness. Here's the man, his friends. They're all lowering him into the center of the scene. No one's asked Jesus, could you forgive me? But Jesus has just instantly seen what this man needs. He's also seen their faith. The passage says, when Jesus saw their faith, and I really do believe that means the man and his friends, here were people who trusted Jesus enough, had just enough understanding of who Jesus was to say, this is the one who can save my friend. This is the one who can heal my friend. They saw who Jesus was. And that was enough. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to do any more than that than to have faith that Jesus is the one who can meet with you, who can meet your deepest needs. But the second bombshell was Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. Because how could Jesus be the one to forgive sins? This was the uproar that the religious leaders uh, found so controversial. This is blasphemy. How can Jesus say this? This is uh, who can forgive sins but God alone. And C.S. Lewis says this is one of the um, main marker points uh, that describes how Jesus understood himself. Um, And C.S. Lewis said he was surprised more wasn't made of this point that uh, Jesus forgiving people was basically saying, you know, you might have done something wrong uh, to that person, but I can forgive you for all the sins you've done to anyone. Just imagine if uh, uh, a fight happened outside in the square. Two people uh, get cross about something. They begin to uh, beat each other up. And I could go into the square and I could separate them and say, look, you shouldn't do this. And who started it? And maybe you should forgive this person or you should forgive that person. But just imagine if I went into the square and said, guys, guys, stop that. You've both done things wrong and I forgive you. Me saying that would be effectively saying, what you've done wrong is you've broken a moral law that only I have the right to forgive. 
Uh, what you've done wrong is not just wrong against each other, but it's wrong against me, the vicar of Christchurch. And I'm going to give you forgiveness that I have the power to forgive. I've got the power to say what is right and wrong and to forgive it. Well, of course, they knew, the religious leaders knew, only God could forgive sins. God was the moral lawgiver. God had given the law. Only he could forgive sins through uh, what they would do in the temple or the prayers that they would pray. And Jesus saying to this man, your sins are forgiven, was basically saying, the excluded, the people who we're excluding, Jesus includes, Jesus welcomes in. The people who we say are sinful, well, Jesus is saying they're forgiven. It totally um, up, upended the order of society in their minds. They were very angry. This was the beginning of the moment where the religious leaders would plot uh, to um, arrest Jesus and to put him to death. But what Jesus wanted to say to the man was, you're not abandoned. You're not outcast. You are wanted. You are forgiven. I love you. God loves you. You're accepted. And you are forgiven because everything that's going to be needed to be done for forgiveness is going to be done. You don't need to do anything. He could walk again. But the thing the man most needed to hear was that he could walk again, or most wanted to hear. Probably that was the reason why he'd come in the first place. And what Jesus is saying is, you know, the best thing is to be saved. But of course, for the crowds, that was an easy thing. Well, anyone can walk in here and say, it's blasphemous, but they can walk in and say, your sins are forgiven. How do we know that it's true? How do we know this man's sins are forgiven? How do we know anything has changed? How would the man know anything had really changed? How would the man know that Jesus really did have the authority to do this? And so Jesus looks at the man and says, this is the harder thing to say. If I'm not the son of God, this would be impossible to say, but I'm going to say it. Get up. And walk. The most important thing was to know that he was saved, loved, blessed, and drawn into a relationship with God. But the way Jesus demonstrated that he had the power to say that and he had the right to say that was he said to the man, Get up and walk. And so, do you see what's happening here? The man is not just healed, he doesn't just have uh, this uh, life changing moment of being able to walk out of that uh, building. But he also has his shame, his sin, and his heart changed as well. People do experience today mighty acts of God. Uh, Jesus still heals today in dramatic ways. But everyone who's healed will get ill again. Everyone who heals, gets healed will die one day. But those who are made whole, those who are saved, those who are drawn into a relationship with God and who are reconciled with him are made whole. The word salvation literally means to be made whole, sozo. And not just physical healing, but a complete healing of body, mind and spirit. This man would not just walk around for the next 35 years. He would have his eternal life changed and transformed for the next eternity. Jesus wanted to say, do you know what I've said to you? The hard thing about your sins being forgiven, I can do that. But I'm going to prove that that is true by doing the impossible thing, 
saying, get up and walk. And I want to challenge us this morning that we may feel like the person on the mat. We may feel in desperate need of coming to Jesus, drawing close to Jesus, but we feel a sense of shame. Maybe we feel a sense that I'm not meant to feel like this. Just the very idea of asking for help uh, to say, could you pray with me? Or uh, to phone up and uh, to say, could, could you... Um, uh, could we go for a walk? We're allowed to do those things, aren't we, at the moment? One-to-one walks. Could we go for a walk? And can I just tell you uh, what's on my heart? Maybe you're going through a time which you feel, I'm not usually the one to cope with anxiety or depression um, or to say I need help, but you really need it at the moment. And we need to have people alongside us who can carry us to Jesus so that we can know we're loved and accepted and not abandoned. Because the greatest thing is to know the blessings of being with Jesus. There are also times when we'll get great blessings from Jesus. But the giver is far more important than the gifts. Knowing that Jesus is with us and for us and alongside us is the thing that will help us through the moments where we're on the mat. Will help us in the moments when maybe we do see dramatic healings, but maybe there are moments when we don't see dramatic healings. And yet the truth of God's love and presence with us is never changing. There may be moments when we see uh, powerful healing and we're called to be those who continue to pray in and press in to pray for healing. Um, If you're unwell, ask for prayer. If you're being asked to pray, pray for healing. But there will also be moments when we need to ask for help, when we need to be ready to carry our friends to Jesus and just Draw alongside them and help them draw close to Jesus. And I wonder also, and this is just a quick challenge uh, to the men listening in today. I wonder whether some of us men uh, really struggle with the idea of asking for help. Really struggle. And maybe it's not something that we ask lots of friends. Uh, Maybe we don't say this in a group WhatsApp. But maybe there are one or two friends that you've got who you could reach out to and say, please, can you pray for me? I'm going through a tough time. Or have friends who you know, you can always check in on each other if you haven't heard from each other for a, for a while to support each other and say, can I be a friend to you? Or actually, I need you to be a friend to me. Let's know what it is to be carried to Jesus and to ask friends to carry us to Jesus. Let's try and be those who can get over a sense of shame that we might need to do that from time to time. Because when we allow people to carry us into the presence of Jesus, when we allow his love and his presence and his power to come near to us, when we hear his voice saying, I love you, my precious child, I will never leave you nor forsake you in the ups and downs of life. When we hear that, then truly the deepest power is released in our lives. And then we can not only be those who experience the presence of Jesus, We can also, whether we remain on the mat or we walk out of the room, walking and leaping and praising God, we can also be those who help others find Jesus for themselves. Let's pray. Lord God, whether we feel we're the man on the mat today or whether we just feel confused watching like the crowds at all the confusion that's going on, the people who are unwell around us, the people who are struggling, Lord, I pray that we would all know what it is 
to draw close to you and not allow the barriers of our situation uh, to get in the way of meeting with you. And Lord, for particularly those of us who are struggling, who feel maybe like the man, helpless and hopeless, would you help us have the courage to know there's no shame in asking friends to help us, to carry us, to asking friends to pray for us, to reach out and to reach out for the Christ in them. And Lord, may we all be ready to support and share and pray when we are asked to as well. We want to be those who allow people to give us the gift of their help. And we want to be ready to give the gift of supporting and praying. Lord, we want to see your power released in our community, in our families, in our friends, and in our church, so that we can say to others, we've met the one who can not only heal diseases, but who can heal our hearts and change our life forever and into eternity. Amen.